Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to finish Proverbs 9 and the call of wisdom. We started last week. I guess I'll also say again, I'm thankful we got to baptize on Wednesday night. I'm thankful that God saves people at 105 years old. That's what, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm so thankful to have been part of that because it's a reminder to us. Don't stop witnessing to people. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter what shape they're in physically. And to see a man so frail, so weak, who barely leaves his home, insist on coming to be baptized, moved my heart. He had every excuse not to come do that. To say, oh, well, I, I got saved, that's good enough. It moves me when I think about it, you know. The excuses we hold on to sometimes do not do what we know we're supposed to do, you know. And uh, so let me throw that in there. I'm thankful for Joe and, you know, now it's our turn to show him love and to be there for him. And like I said, we'll be his church family. Just he can't come to us, so we'll take it to him and be his church family. Amen. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. We're going to do verses 7 through 18. The Bible says, He that reproveth the scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh the wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou, shalt, thou alone shalt bear it. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing, for she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their way. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. We're picking up where we left off last week. We're hearing from wisdom, which of course is Christ personified, or personified as Christ. Verses 1 through 6 was the invitation of wisdom to come and fully participate at the table, a fully prepared table. The wine was mixed, the uh, meat was prepared, the sacrifices were made. The invitation will continue later, but verses 7 through 10 are a parenthesis in the invitation. So you have the invitation of wisdom, verses 1 through 6, and the invitation of wisdom, again at verse 11 onward, but 7 through 10, where we're going to start tonight, is a parenthesis in the invitation. Look at how it reads if you cut out verses 7 through 10. Okay, Read verses 5 through 6 and go right to 11. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. We have a perfect and continuous flow of thought in those verses. And then we come to verses 7 through 10 and it's a parenthesis. Wisdom is explaining why her invitation is only to the simple and not to the proud. We talked about that last week. The invitation of wisdom is to the simple, not to the proud. Let's start at verse 7. He that reproveth the scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh the wicked man getteth himself a blot. This is not saying it's a shameful thing to reprove a scorner. You know, it's not saying you're going to get yourself shamed because it's wrong. 
but you're going to get yourself shamed by the scorner. That's what he's saying there. Okay? He that reproved the scorner getteth to himself shame. He gets rebuke from the wicked. He doesn't get praise. A, a wicked man, a scorner, doesn't praise you for correcting them, do they? No, they don't. Uh, I grew up in, in Christian school, and so we had, you know, discipline protocol when, when kids broke the rules. And you had, you had kids who you knew when they got in trouble, it was bad. I mean, they're going to yell and scream and throw a fit. And you had certain kids that when they broke a rule, they got in trouble, they got called off, called out for it. You knew how their reaction was going to be. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's a wise kid right there. But the scorn of the fool. Why don't you leave me alone? Why don't you get out of my business? You knew how they were going to react. The shame it's talking about comes from the scorner. You rebuke a humble man and the reaction will be repentance and change. Remember when uh, Nathan approached David? You are the man. You're the one I'm talking about. You killed Uriah. You took his wife. You're the sinner. And David stood up and goes, oh my goodness, you're right. What have I done? What have I done? I'm wrong. That's a wise man. But you approve a scorner. He doesn't repent, does he? He doubles down. He sinks in his feet. He clenches his fist. He fights with you over it. How dare you do such and such? If you're a street preacher like me, you've met those people. I don't, I don't bother with most of them. I got, I, I got friends who like to waste their time. And when scorners come up to harass them while they're preaching, they argue. And then the arguments will go on forever. You're not going to get anywhere with a scorner. Just keep giving the gospel. The scorner wants to stop you from giving the gospel. Don't let it succeed. I remember we had a, a man a couple of months ago, I guess, in Bakersfield. He's downtown preaching on one of our trips. At maybe it was less than a year ago. The guitar man who came up and just started playing his guitar next to me while I was preaching to drown out what I was saying. I didn't engage him. He was a scorner. It wouldn't have gotten me anywhere. I remember one time a friend was preaching at the Super Bowl outreach and this girl came up and she's just ridiculing his preaching. And he stops and he looks her right in the eye. Because you child of the devil, you know better. And she broke down in tears. And after this, he got done preaching, he stepped down. And he goes, what happened to you? She goes, you're right, I grew up in a pastor's home, I know better. When he said that, it clicked in her mind. I do know, I've been caught, I know better. He didn't know her. He didn't know her, but she wasn't a scorner. She was humble, though she was in her sin. She was wise. She had David to reaction. What have I done? I'm in sin. I need to repent. Rebuking a scorner will only build up his anger and pride. It will solidify him in his ignorance. There needs to be a humbling of the heart before truth can take root. That's something we need to understand when we're giving the gospel to people. If they're full of pride, they're not going to listen to our rebuke. There has to be a humbling of the heart. For truth to take root. Who does that humbling? You? Me? The Holy Spirit. 
That's why I said this morning, prayer is such an important ministry that the church has largely forsaken. Prayer is not just a side activity of Christians. You all know, you know what, what, is, what does a Christian do? Uh, pray, read their Bible, go to church. Prayer is not a, it's not a side function. It's not something we do when times get tough. Well, there's nothing left to do but pray. That's not what prayer is a ministry. Prayer changes things. God works through prayer. You give the gospel to somebody who's not listening to you? Pray more. Throw some fasting in there. Pray to God to humble them. Because until their heart is humbled, the gospel won't take root. Because the, ha- the, 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 the haughty heart, the, the prideful heart is the enemy of the gospel. Because the gospel is humbling. The gospel is I'm a sinner. The gospel is I cannot save myself. The gospel is the wrath of God abides on me. And it takes humility. The word blot means like a censure. So it says in verse 7, He that reproveth the scorner getteth himself shame. The shame comes from the scorner. He that rebuketh the wicked man getteth himself a blot. That's a censure. A censure from the one he's correcting. In other words, he'll get accused of judging or being hateful. You ever heard that before? You're judging me. Don't judge me. That's the words of a proud heart, not a humble heart. How about you're being hateful? You're bigoted. No, you're proud. Humble yourself. Verse 8, reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Don't reprove a scorner lest he hate thee. This is in line with Proverbs 15, 12. Turn there. Proverbs 15, 12. Says, a scorner loveth not, a scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go out, go unto the wise. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him. Neither will he go unto the wise. A fool or a scorner will hate the one who corrects him because he doesn't love truth. He loves his sin. His heart is set on his own way. Go back to Proverbs chapter 9. That man we met a few weeks ago in the park, he's a scorner. Boy, he's hateful. Boy, he was terrible. He was a scorner. And with every rebuke, he just solidified himself more and more in his hatred. The more we rebuked him for his sin, the more angry he became. The more red his face got. The more he screamed. You know why? He's proud. The man at the abortion clinic on Saturday. A proud heart. That's what that was. That's a scorner. Someone like that won't even receive the gospel until he's humbled in his heart. A scorner or a hater of truth will hate those who bring them truth. Remember, if you're witnessing to people and they hate you, it's not you they hate, it's your message they hate. It's Christ they hate. Keep that in mind. We see this outside the abortion clinics all the time. Those who hate enough to murder can rightly, rightfully be called scorners. Some respond and show their babies mercy. Those are humble people. They take correction. 
The scorners scream and shout and give perverse hand gestures. The same thing when preaching in the open air. Some respond, others may not respond, right? You get those that don't respond to the preaching, but there's no negative reaction from them. There's some maybe humility about them. But then you get those who are angry and boisterous and have to yell something at you or give you a gesture. They're a scorner. That's what they are. I seldom stop preaching to deal with scorners. That's what they want you to do. They want you to stop. They want attention. They want engagement. I don't give them that typically. When that guitar player came while I was preaching a few months ago, he played guitar for maybe, what was it, 15 minutes of my sermon? I just let him play. I just let him play. And then eventually when I didn't give the attention he wanted, he walked away. I knew he would. He wanted attention. He wanted to stop the message. But what happens a lot of times is they create people who are sympathetic to what you're doing and the gospel gets out even more. While he was playing guitar, people couldn't hear me. And so people down the bus terminals were like, what's that guy saying? I can't hear him. And they all came closer and they all heard me preach more. When the man at the park was screaming and yelling at us, what happened? We gave away so many tracts and so many Bibles that day because he attracted more attention to it. God uses the scorners. The end of the verse gives us the contrary. Rebuke a wise man, he will love thee. He'll be thankful that he got straightened out. This is the heart of humility. This should always be, listen to me, this should always be the response of a Christian confronted with their sin. Okay? With the unbelievers, you'll find it too. If they're humble at heart, you rebuke their sin, you confront their sin, they may repent. But a Christian confronted with their sin, the reaction should never be, how dare you? How to get out of my business? That's none of your business. It should never be anger. It should be humility. It should be David's response to Nathan. Anytime, if you are a Christian, truly a Christian, and the Spirit of God lives within you, your response to rebuke of sin should be, thank you, you saved my life. Because sin is deadly. We saw that, I think it was last week in Romans chapter 6. Right? You are who you allow yourself to be a servant to. Whether of sin unto what? Death, right? If you are a servant of sin, you are a servant of death. Let's get this nonsense out of our heads that, well, as long as I'm saved, once saved, always saved, I can live however I want to. If that's your idea, then you're not saved. That's not what a heart filled with the Holy Spirit says. No, no, no. That's why the Bible over and over and over again stresses we must continue in the faith. Continue, continue, continue. Not because continuing saves us, but because continuing is the fruit of being truly saved. So when you go to a saved person who's in sin and you confront them on their sin and their response is to pick up and leave the church and never come back again, that may be a sign they're not saved. Because a saved person will humble themselves and say, wow, you're right. That's not what the Bible says. That's not how I should react to that. If 
you want to tell a true Christian over a false one, watch their reaction when you confront them in their sin. That'll tell you all you need to know. Again, compare the response of David to someone like, I don't know, King Ahab, who was confronted his sin by Elijah. What did he do? Went and cried to Jezebel, who started to hunt down and try to kill Elijah. That wasn't the response of David, was it? Wholly different response entirely. How about when John the Baptist rebuked Herod for his illegitimate marriage? What was Herod's response? Humility? Oh, he cut his head off. Cut his head off. Sometimes you confront someone with their sin and they get mad and they leave the church. I've grown up in church. I've seen it my whole life. That's a scary thing. We, uh, at our old church years ago, you guys know how I feel about people getting mad and leaving the church. Not just because I'm the pastor. I've always felt this way. Um, I told you the story about my grandmother who got mad at two different pastors at the same church. Got mad at them. And, they, and from what I understand of the story, they were both wrong. And she pulled them aside and she confronted them and she called them out on it. And she told them to their face they were wrong. And then she went home and made lunch for her family, went back to church Sunday night. And they continued there for the next 20 years. You know why? Because that's not how we deal with problems as a family. We don't just pick up our toys and go somewhere else. That's a sinful response. Okay? That's a sinful response. Our old church in Bakersfield, we had a, a thing that happened some years ago, uh, over 10 years now. And uh, a family in the church got mad at the pastor. And, uh, you know, the family was right. The pastor was wrong. Yeah. So their response was to leave the church and go to a different church and then take all their friends that went to the church out with them to go to the other church. That's sinful behavior. I don't know if any of them are saved. And then the other ones who left and followed them out begin to lie about it. Oh, no, no, we're not leaving because of that. That's No, 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 we wanted an older, more mature pastor to learn under. Oh, Okay, so you decided that the same Sunday your friends got in a fight with the pastor and left the church, and you ended up at the exact same church they did, even though there's a church not too far away from there that has an even older pastor that you could learn from. Come on. There's no humility. No humility at all. Verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be yet wiser. Teach a just man, he will increase in learning. <laughs> this verse is special to me because it's the first Bible verse I ever memorized. I saw my wife about it this week. It's kind of a funny story. It's a cute story. I was a cute little kid. Most people memorize John 3.16. I memorized Proverbs 9.9. The reason I did is because I thought it would make me wise. Uh, when I was in our Christian school, we had awards. It went out at the end of the year. And uh, I got a trophy for something. I don't remember now. And on the trophy, it had this verse. And it said, give instruction to a wise man, he'll be yet wiser. Teach a just man, he will increase in learning, Proverbs 9.9. And I didn't, as a little kid, realize that was the text of the verse. 
I thought it meant he'll increase in learning Proverbs 9.9. So I learned Proverbs 9.9. I wanted to be wise. So anyway, so it's just funny between them. Nobody else is laughing. Just people at home, nobody else is. My wife and I had a good laugh about this earlier this week, but nobody else thought it was funny. But that's how I came to memorize this verse first. That was a better story in my head. Give instruction to a wise man. Even if that instruction is in the form of rebuke, he'll become wiser. Matthew 13, 12 says, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he, that hath, he, he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that which he hath. If a man has wisdom, rebuking him in his sin will bring him more wisdom. If a man has pride, rebuking him in his sin will bring him more pride. A wise man will add to the wisdom he already has. A fool wastes instruction. They don't learn from it. They don't grow from it. The end of the verse says to teach a just man, and he will increase in, <clears throat> in learning. We have a lot of fools in our society, don't we? A lot of fools. I ministered for five, was it five years in the prison? We have a high recidivism rate. You know why? We have a lot of fools. A lot of fools who receive instruction, but it's wasted on them. They don't take it to heart. They don't change. They get out and they do the same things over again and over again. I had kids I went to school with, the Christian school, that we all got rebuked. We all got in trouble. We all... They had to deal with our rebellious streaks, and some of them, it was wasted on them. I remember one young man, the principal said, well, you're going to waste your whole life. I'm not going to waste my life. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to be big one day. He's dead now. Heroin overdose. Wasted instruction, wasted rebuke. A fool is what he was. Wisdom is not just intellectual, it's moral as well. Understand that? Make a note of that. Wisdom is not mere intellect. It's moral in its nature. This is why we have more knowledge available to us today, and yet ignorance is at an all-time high. You understand that, right? We have more knowledge available to us than any human who has ever lived on planet Earth. You want to know? Just Google it. Search it on the internet. So many books. We have so much knowledge in our society. And yet we have a little problem called fake news. <laughs> right? So much head knowledge. And then we're confused. What's a man? What's a woman? What's biology? What's gender? We have kids who think they're cats. In an age with the knowledge that we have access to, knowledge doesn't make us wise. Wisdom is moral in its nature. It's moral in its character. That's why the answer for everything in our society is, oh, we need more education. More education won't fix the problem. We have more education today than we've ever had. Ever. And our society is falling apart. You know why? Because we're not wise. We don't have wisdom because wisdom is moral and we are an immoral people. That's the problem. 
We have knowledge, but without wisdom, our knowledge leads only to foolishness. Wisdom cannot be attained by the immoral. They can be smart, not wise. Wisdom is available only to a righteous people. When it says, teach a just man, it's not... And by the way, can I just say this too? That's why there's so much sin within the church. It, being, uh, Jason was talking about after church, there means sex abuse among pastors and clergy. Do you know why this is so rampant in our society? Because we have unsaved men who are religious and they have knowledge of the Bible, but they have no wisdom to apply it. That's the problem. Wisdom is moral. Knowledge is not. Knowledge does not make a wise man. Godliness with knowledge makes a wise man. I lost my place now. When it says teach a just man, it's not speaking of mere academics, but rather it's saying teach a just man in the way of wisdom, even if this is through rebuke. He'll learn from it and grow wiser. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The beginning of the verse is a repeat of Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is necessary for wisdom. Again, wisdom is moral. The first wise thing we do is fear the Lord. Those who don't love and reverence God cannot be wise. Do you understand that? Those who do not love and reverence God cannot be wise. They can be smart. They cannot be wise. Of course, once again, knowledge without wisdom leads to foolishness. Smart people in our society are saying dumb things. You understand that, right? When they pretend, when the President of the United States stood up there and pretended he didn't, he didn't know what a woman was, President Biden is a highly educated man. He has far more knowledge than I'll probably ever attain. He definitely has more degrees than I'll ever have. He has smarts. He doesn't have wisdom. He can't. He cannot have that. We gotta be careful who we elect our leadership. And by the way, that doesn't mean I'm clamoring for Donald Trump 2.0. He's not a Christian. He cannot be wise. He can be smart, but all it leads to is foolishness. We as Christians need to seek out wise, godly leaders. That's what we need to seek out. That's what we need to support. The fear of the Lord leads to obedience to God's law. And in the law of God is where we find wisdom. Knowledge of the holy is understanding. In other words, knowledge of God helps us to understand the wisdom of God. The understanding talked about in Proverbs is understanding the wise sayings. Or wisdom itself. Verse 6. To understand a proverb... Sorry, Proverbs 1 6. To understand the proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. So, when it talks about understanding in Proverbs, understanding is understanding the wisdom of God. Okay? True wisdom is found in knowing God. It's through knowing God that we understand the wisdom he teaches. Verse 11. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. We're back to the invitation of wisdom. 7 through 10 was an explanatory parenthesis in the invitation. Now we're jumping back into the invitation again. 
We see another reference to days being multiplied through wisdom and the years of life being increased. We saw this earlier in the book. This is not a reference to getting years added to your life. God's not going to look down and go, you know what? Amy has been so good and so wise. I had her dying at 62, but I'm going to let her live till 68. That's not what it's talking about. Okay. The reference to years being added to your life is the reference to the wisdom of God will keep you from sins that will shorten your life. There are sins that will shorten your life. I just had a dear friend whose daughter, they had to pull the plug on her on yesterday. Yesterday. And she died. She was 22 years old, I think. 22 years old. He's, he's a pastor, a street preacher, a wonderful man. She got, she's unsaved. She got into drugs. She was brain, she's been brain dead for a while. She died. She got into sins that took her life. Wisdom keeps that from happening. The wisdom of God. This is not a promise that God will give you more years, but rather a truth that a longer life typically comes from wisdom. Many people die in their youth over sin and foolishness. I think my stepsister was 32 years old when she died from a stroke brought on by heroin use. That doesn't happen to people who don't use heroin at 32. To people who walk in wisdom. So many sins take the lives of people prematurely because they're doing that which they know they ought not to be doing. How many lives are lost to sexually transmitted diseases, alcohol, drugs, smoking addictions, gang violence, people who are killed in the commission of crimes, and the list goes on and on and on. Wisdom keeps us from that. Walking in godly wisdom will generally ensure a longer life. Again, we need to remember that Proverbs aren't promises, but things that are generally true. Sometimes the wicked die at 100, and the Christian dies at 20 from cancer. It does happen. But generally speaking, walking in godly wisdom will give a lengthened life over somebody who lives in sin. Verse 12, If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear thy guilt shall bear the guilt of yours. Thou alone shall bear it. This verse gives us the law of personal responsibility. He's saying if you're wise and godly, then you benefit yourself. If not, then you bear your own guilt. You know better. You bear your own guilt. Go to Numbers 9 real quick with me. Numbers chapter 9, verse 13. The law of personal responsibility. Numbers 9.13, But the man that is clean and is not in a journey and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off among his people, because he brought not the offering of the Lord in his appointed season. That man shall bear his own guilt. In other words, a man who's on a long journey and cannot keep the Passover is excused from keeping the Passover. But if you were at home and you knew what you're supposed to do and you don't bring the offering of the Lord, you know what? You bear it on yourself. You've done this to yourself, in other words. It's your fault. I'm one of those good parents that 
I, I love my kids, but if they get hurt doing something they shouldn't be doing, there's a rule in our house. Dad doesn't care. You'll get no pity from dad. You shouldn't have been doing it. You uh, cry all you want to. You shouldn't have disobeyed. You know the rules and you got hurt anyways. And generally my kids find that if they don't break the rules, they don't get hurt. 99% of their, of, their, of their injuries come from breaking the rules. You break the rules, you get hurt. I guess you can run to mommy, but you're not going to get sympathy from me. You bear your guilt. You did it. You knew better. That's just a rule I have. Mom is a little bit more, you know how moms are. Oh, come here. Like, don't comfort them. How dare they? They knew better. The law of personal responsibility. Go to Ezekiel chapter 23. Ezekiel 23, 35. Bible says, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast forgotten me and cast me behind thy back, therefore bear thou also thy lewdness and thy whoredoms. Again here, if they turn from the mercy and grace of God, they bear their own guilt. Basically, God's saying, you made your bed, now lie in it. Grace has been offered. God has extended his hand of mercy to Israel. You go on in your lewdness, you bear the guilt of it. I've tried, he says. You bear the consequences. Go back to Proverbs chapter 9. I mentioned this yesterday when we were preaching in the park. The day of mercy is now. Don't despite God's mercy. I tell people all the time, the day is coming when mercy will not be offered. Mercy will not be there. Grace will not be extended. When the Bible says... Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. On that day, there'll be no mercy. There'll be cries for mercy, won't there? There'll be pleading. They'll be begging for mercy. But God's ears will be shut to their cries because today is the day of mercy. Today is the day of grace. Don't go on ignoring God's day of grace or you'll bear your own responsibility. You say, well, pastor, are we going to forget our loved ones when they're in hell and we're in heaven? Because there's no tears in heaven. I, I don't think we're going to have tears over them being in hell. I think we're going to look at it from God's perspective. They bear their own guilt. The truth was given and they didn't want it. They wanted their sin. I hate to quote R.C. Sproul so much in one day, but R.C. Sproul said in the sermon, he said, I think that one day if my mom, his mom was saved, but he said, my mom was unsaved. And I was not, I'll look on her in the lake of fire and I'll say, that's just, and that's right. There is mercy. God is not unkind or unloving. He withheld not his only begotten son from us. If we turn our backs on the mercy of God, we bear our guilt ourselves. Verse 13. And by the way, when people reject the gospel, they're only hurting themselves. Christian, if you're confronting your sin and you double down and harden your heart, you're only hurting your own soul. Verse 13, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. These next few verses, we're going to see the foolishness of sin contrasted with the wisdom of God. 
If you recall, wisdom sent out her maidens to call you to the feast already prepared, to a prepared table. This woman isn't sending people out, as we'll see. She's lewdly sitting in her house trying to draw them in. She is vice, pretending to be virtue. This isn't a new tactic of evil, by the way. Wickedness throughout history has attempted to imitate righteousness. St. Corinthians 11.14 says, No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You know, when the serpent appeared to Eve in the garden, he didn't appear hideous. He didn't even appear to be an enemy. Smooth talker. How many people are drawn away in these false religions because an angel appeared to them or a a vision of Mary appeared to them. Vice pretends to be righteousness. In the days of the Roman Empire when the apostles lived the book of Acts, what did you have? You had temple prostitution. Right? Temple sex slaves pretending to be for righteousness, but it was for their own lewdness and fornication. It masqueraded as goodness. That's what it does today. Saw a commercial the other day about being vegan. You guys know my thoughts on that. Don't be a vegan. That's nonsense. I had good Christian friends who were getting caught up in that kind of nonsense, becoming a vegan. It's plant-based lifestyle. And the commercial said, be vegan. Be one with the earth. It's paganism parading as, if you're a good citizen, you're going to do this. You're going to love the earth. You're going to be kind to the earth. Be one with the earth. All of this nonsense that we see, it's all the virtue of righteousness. Oh, they're, they're, they're riding in the streets. We're going to kneel down to show. It's, it, it parades as, oh, we're going to make these reparations for the past. It, par, it parades as righteousness. But it's paganism. It's what it is. Understand this, evil never claims to be evil. Evil always claims to be good. You know that Hitler didn't sign his letters sincerely the bad man. He was convinced that what he was doing was the right thing to do. He believed he was right for what he was doing. He was deceived. He was deceived. She's clamorous. Solomon uses this word elsewhere. Turn to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 11. 7, verse 11. We see the same word being used. He says, She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. So when it says that this woman here, a foolish woman, is clamorous, it means she's loud and stubborn. What does that mean? She's full of pride, arrogance, haughtiness. Pride is foolishness, by the way. Pride is foolishness. Foolishness is loud and stubborn. When it says she is simple, knowing nothing, it means that she doesn't think about or regard the consequences of her actions. That's what a foolish person does. They don't regard the consequences of their actions. Verse 14, Proverbs 9. 
for she sits at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city. She's not busy building her house with perfection of seven pillars like the, the woman we saw earlier in chapter 9. She's not building a perfect house. She's sitting there to lure people in seductively. She's idle, not busy. She's open about her sin. She flaunts it. She's on the high places of the city where everybody can see her shame. She openly flaunts her sin. Verse 15, to call passengers who go right on their ways. These are not people seeking evil, but rather people who in the course of doing their duty walk by her thinking nothing of her. In other words, she's not out to find evil people and give them more evil to do. She's out to seduce those who don't intend to do evil to get them to do evil. She's drawing them away. That's what we're seeing here. Believe me, that happens a lot. That happens a lot. You know, no affair ever started. Well, not say no affair, but most affairs don't start because somebody wakes up and goes, I'm going to go find me somebody else to play with. It starts innocent. A conversation, a friendship, confiding, sharing problems. And usually there's one person involved who uses that friendship and uses that slyness to build this confidence, to build this relationship, to draw them away. So pretty soon somebody who had no intention originally of committing adultery is now over here involved in an adulterous relationship. I know the pastor, I know a lot of pastors, I know one pastor in particular who just got out of prison recently for an affair with a 16-year-old girl. You realize the 16-year-old girl wasn't looking to commit sin. She was in counseling with the pastor because she'd had problems with sin. And she was trying to straighten her life out. And this pastor wasn't wise enough to have his wife in there with him. You know why? It wasn't wisdom. It's because he wanted to do evil. He was the foolish woman sitting at the door of the house, calling to the pastors by, trying to lure somebody who had no intention to do evil into do evil. That's what we saw there. That's what we see her doing in this, in this picture in Proverbs. These aren't wicked people out looking for bad things to do. These are people living life, and evil sits there and goes, hmm, stop by my house. Come this way. Always, church, always be on guard for your soul. Because evil doesn't always present itself as evil. It's going to lure you in ways that you don't understand until you're so far down that you're stuck. Be very careful. These people are on the path of wisdom, you could say. Walking rightly, she calls for them to leave the path and come to her. Let's see the next two verses together and see what she says. 16. Whoso is simple... Let him turn in hither. In other words, who's not thinking of the consequences of their actions right now? Come here. Let's, don't worry about what's going to happen after this. Just think about what, the moment. Isn't our society today, boy, just live for the now. What's that trait? You do you. Do what feels good to you. That's what we see here. 
Don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry about the consequences. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. <laughs> Whoso is simple. She uses the same word that wisdom used in verse 4, but she means something entirely different by it. Virtue was looking for the simple in terms of the humble, those willing to be instructed. Vice uses it to refer to people of low moral character who are open to lesser moral actions. In other words, people who can be easily swayed by evil. To these people who lack understanding, she says, stolen waters are sweet. If you recall the reference to water being sexual intercourse or adultery, we saw that back in Proverbs 5.5, 5, drink waters out of thine own cisterns and running waters out of thine own well. In other words, she's saying adultery is fun. It's secret. It's exciting. How many people have you known who got into sin of any kind because the, it just seemed fun? It was, it was, it was, you're not supposed to do this. This is, it just seemed exciting. I met a guy in prison one time. I was there on a lesser charge. No, I'm just kidding. I met a guy in prison, and he wanted to tell me a story. And he says, honestly, I don't know how it all started. I don't know how it all started. My buddy said, you want to have fun? It's, it's wrong. But boy, it's a lot of fun. If you're, if you're really good, nobody will, nobody will catch you. I thought, yeah, that's exciting. Something I shouldn't be doing. I was tired of being a goody two-shoes, so I, I went along with him. And we did get caught. And one thing led to another, and I panicked, and I pulled out a gun, and I killed the man. And he goes, honestly, preacher, I don't know how I got from the children's choir at church to a life sentence in prison, all because we were trying to steal some things that were worthless. It wasn't even for money. It was for the thrill of doing it. And it got out of hand. And here I am. That's, that's foolishness. Stolen waters are sweet. No, they're not. They're bitter. They're bitter. They're not sweet. It's a lie. It's a deception. I mentioned those people earlier. They're dead today. From those heroin overdoses. My stepsister, friends from school. Oh, the high is fun, they're told. Oh, you've never experienced it. Oh, it's going to... It's going to be so great that you can control it. And now they're dead. They're dead. Adultery probably is fun and exciting for a time. But it destroys the soul. And it also destroys lives and marriages. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In other words, it's fun to secretly do what you're not supposed to do. That's what foolishness is saying. There's a measure of truth there. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Hebrews 11, 25 and 26 tells us that. But do you notice the difference between wisdom and virtue? They offer a fully spread table, fully prepared, with flesh and wine, eaten in an open banquet. Foolishness and vice offer only the bare minimum, bread and water, and huddled in secret. Only a fool would miss the banquet of meat and wine to eat bread and water. And this is the point of the contrast when we forsake righteousness for unrighteousness. We're fools. Who would forsake the open banquet 
of meat and wine for cowering in a closet eating bread and water. That's what we do when we choose sin. That's the foolishness. That's the, that's the contrast being made. Why would you do that? Verse 18. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. When they wander in the path of foolishness and vice, they don't realize that it leads to death. They're simple. They don't think about the end result of their actions. They see the fun and excitement, but not the death that is a natural consequence of that fun. She seems enticing, but her guests are in the depths of hell. There's no escape. Once she has them in her grasp, they go in, they don't come back out. What seems like fun today will be terror on the day of judgment. They will have left an open banquet for bread and water. And then that's being cut off in the lake of fire. Let me wrap this up. Vice pretends to be virtue. Remember that. It takes godly discernment to tell the difference. Again, you may say, I, 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 I'm not going to be tempted to, you may not be tempted by the open evil, but it's the secret evil you've got to watch out for. Hey, many a 16-year-old girl, not many, but some, have tried to seduce a godly pastor. And that godly pastor said, no way. I'm not going to sin. That's open sin. But how about the girl who trusted him? He had secret plans, secret motivations to draw her away from the path of righteousness to ungodliness. That's what we need to watch out for. Sin and vice does not always come to us as sin and vice. It seems innocent at the time. The path of foolishness leads to eternal destruction. Looks can be deceiving. I know I'm dating myself here, but you guys ever watch the old Twilight Zone TV show? One of my favorites is the one where the old man dies, where he's got his dog. I don't know how they both died together, but anyway, they both died. He's walking this country path, and he gets to the, the first gate, and the guy's trying to get him to come in. Come on in. Here's laughter and music and dancing. The guy says, it's a, it's a party. They're having a good time over there. That gate represents hell. And the dog was uncomfortable going down there, so... The man goes on down the road, comes to the next gate. That's, that's heaven represented in that picture. And the guy tells him, oh, I met this guy. He goes, oh, you don't want to go in that gate. That gate's bad. So he walks down this path into this gate over here. And as the show kind of fades out, it goes back to the other gate. And you see smoke coming from around the corner. Sounds fun. Sounds exciting. But it's death. It's a death. Number three, wisdom is moral in nature. We need more than head knowledge. We need the wisdom of the, uh, of the word of God. The law of God brings wisdom. Fear of God brings obedience to the law of God, which brings wisdom. If you want proof of that, look at American society in 2023. Number four, only those who love and fear God receive wisdom. It's closed to the ungodly. Number five, a wise person receives rebuke, 
but a scorner will steel himself against him. You want to find a wise person? Confront them on their sin and see how they react. And number six, don't waste time on a scorner. Don't waste time on a scorner. Let me give people the gospel. But if they're a scorner, move on. You know why I don't stop preaching when people play guitar next to me and try to drown me out? Because there are sheep who need to hear his voice. Why am I wasting time on this scorner who has no ears to hear? Keep giving the gospel. Don't let the wicked stop you from doing it. Don't cast your pearls before swine. That's why Paul told the Jews, you put it far from you. I'm going to the Gentiles and they're going to hear it. In other words, I'm not wasting time anymore in your synagogues. They're begging me to come preach the gospel to them. I'm going to take it to them. So, seek the wisdom of God. Be careful with the scorner. And remember, vice parades as virtue, but it's not the same thing. Don't leave the banquet of flesh and wine for a closet of bread and water. There's no peace to the wicked. There's no fun in hell. It's all a deception. Stay on the path of wisdom and be on guard. Because vice will often come to us parading as virtue. You need godly wisdom to tell the difference. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, for these wise words and proverbs as we continue our journey. Lord, I, I ask you to help each one of us, Lord. Help us to discern, to receive godly wisdom. We don't want just a mere head knowledge of the Bible or head knowledge of you. We want the wisdom that comes from your law. Lest we bear our own responsibility. We've sat here under the preaching of the word of God. If we perish, we bear our own shame. We've been warned. We know better. Guard us from that vice that would seduce us, disguised as virtue. That would sneak into our lives and try to draw us away from the path of righteousness. It can be so subtle. Sometimes you don't even know until it's too late. We've got to be on guard. Lord, that you'd make us wise people. Help us to love and know wisdom, which is Christ. Help us to love and know Christ. I believe if we love Christ as we ought to, we will be kept from sin and vice. We'll be saved from the world. We'll know right from wrong. Lord, help us not to be scorners, but to be wise. Help us to humble ourselves like David when we've sinned. To confess. You said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us humble people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.